Well, hello. Welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where each week we are talking about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. I'm Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here, joined once again by Creekside's resident habitologist, <laughs> my dad. His name is John Bruce. Dad, how are you today? I, apparently, I have a lot of bad habits. <laughs> I'm great. Good to be here. Yeah, I didn't I didn't clarify whether those habits were good. You just had a lot of habits. We are all habitologists. Aren't we? Isn't that the point of this podcast? Yes. Well, today we're going to continue our series on the habits of a missionary. Jesus does not command the world to come to the church, but he does command the church to go to the world. In John 17, and again in John 20, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus sends the people of God out into the world, which means every Christian is commanded by Jesus and empowered by His Spirit to go and make disciples. And that means, as we've said, that every single Christian is, by definition, a missionary. You, believer, are every every bit as much a missionary to your context as people who travel cross-culturally to reach people for Jesus. So since we are missionaries, we need to learn how missionaries think, how they act, how they speak. In short, we must master the habits of being a missionary. What are those habits? Well, that's what we're talking about. And as a springboard for these discussions, we're using Sam Chan's new book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, because Chan gives us eight pro tips, great great pieces of advice, really, on how to live like a missionary, and Chan draws from a deep well of personal experience to do that. So thus far, we've, we've looked at the habit of merging universes, of finding creative ways to connect our Christian social network with our non-Christian social network. Second, we've looked at taking the initiative, going and attending the functions and get-togethers of non-believing friends, taking the first step in that. Third, and last week, we looked at creative ways to show hospitality. And today, Dad, we're going to look at Chan's fourth habit. And uh, Dad, to begin this episode, I'd like to model that fourth habit for you. <laughs> you want me to talk. Very good. See me modeling it right now? I see you modeling it. The fourth habit (laughs) is listening. Listening. Learning to listen and understand someone's point of view before we respond. And Chan Dad calls this the golden rule of evangelism. We've probably all heard the golden rule, treat others the way you would have them treat you. Well, the golden rule of evangelism is evangelize the same way that you would like to be evangelized. Now, Dad, we talked a little bit about the art of conversation in our last episode, but in this chapter, Chan really keys in on listening and the importance of listening in evangelism. What are your initial thoughts on this, Dad? I thought this was a, a really good chapter, and particularly since I'm such a bad listener. Um, very, very convicting, but very helpful. And I, I like his point that unless people feel heard, they really can't listen to us no matter how hard they try. And uh, I've, I've been evangelized uh, uh, by different cults and things like that, and, and in those experiences, it was like I couldn't get a word in edgewise. The person just, they kind of had a set thing they were going through and just going through, and finally I just lost, lost them. I couldn't follow them anymore because it wasn't a conversation. It was more of a presentation. And I would hate for people to feel like that when they're talking to me about Christ. I, I took a... A theology class one time, and, and the uh, professor was just a master at debating Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, but one of his pro tips was the first thing you do in a conversation is ask them for their Bible. 
He said, hey, can I see that Bible? And then you can show them the passages you want to talk about, because then otherwise they're just going to take you to all their prepackaged passages oh, yeah. and you won't get a word in edgewise. Yeah, yeah. And, and so um, now that might not necessarily be true of every Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormon who who does that. I don't want to unfairly characterize them. But again, we've probably had negative experiences, maybe with a Christian, maybe with someone else, of someone who clearly has an agenda and, and you are just someone who basically got in their way. Right. Rather than a human being who is interesting to them. Exactly. Exactly. And when somebody does that, we automatically turn them off. It's just, uh, uh, I liked it. his whole point that the key to having a good conversation is getting the other person to do most of the talking. And uh, it reminded me of Proverbs 20, verse 5 a plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. Just the whole idea that being a person of understanding is not just saying wise things, but it's actually being able to draw things out of people and, and let them, finding out what they think and, and their understanding and uh, uh, getting to know them. And I think I've really learned this from my wife. She is very curious about people. And because she has this intense curiosity of people, she listens a lot. And people love to talk to her because she, they know that uh, she cares. Yeah, you feel like you are the most important person to her yes. when you're talking to her. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's good, and I think it takes a level of humility to do this well, because to approach a conversation this way, my assumption has to be, I don't really know this person yet. I don't know how they think. I don't know where they're at in their faith. I don't know what their objections are. I don't know what their hopes and desires are, and I really can't effectively share the gospel with this person until I understand them better. Right. And get to the root of their hopes, their fears, their objections, their desires. And until I get to that point, my efforts might be really misguided in terms of answering questions they don't have, offering solutions to problems they don't see as problems. Right. And and I would add to that, not only is it important for you in order to be able to present the, the gospel effectively, but it's important for them to know that you understand them, that, that you're listening to them, that you care about what they think, uh, rather than are just trying to uh, ram something down their throats. I, th- I was thinking today that James 1.18 is a great command for evangelists, um, mm-hmm. though James does it, but he's, he says, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. In the context of evangelism, once you get angry, <laughs> you've lost the battle right there. But being quick to hear and slow to speak, I find, conquers the quick to anger. Yeah, and anger can be subtle. It's not just outward rage. Right. It can be a tension you feel inside you, um, a clenching up where uh, I think David Pallison says, when you're angry, the mind goes into lawyer mode. Yeah. And, and when you're in that prosecutorial mode, mm. your mind is very active to find counterexamples, defeater beliefs, all of these things. And the minute you go into that mode, you're not listening anymore. Right. You're not listening at all. You are listening to respond. Right. And you're trying to figure out how to refute what this person thinks. Exactly. Now, if you... Oftentimes, if that's what you convey to the person, they're going to mimic that right back right. and go into the same mode. And and now we're in an argument and maybe even a quarrel. Right, right. And, and I think that fruitful evangelism is a dialogue. It could be an intense dialogue about ideas, but the minute that anger begins to seep in, it, it can very easily become a quarrel. 
and then you've lost the person completely. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's why Paul tells Timothy to gently correct those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them the repentance that leads to the knowledge of the truth. Yeah. And, and that, so that, that gentleness, that being forthright with the truth, but doing it in a very gentle way and a sensitive way, requires you to listen to the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a verse that's helped me is Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he <laughs> hears, it is his folly and shame. Yeah. Yeah. It's foolish, and it's embarrassing for you. Oh, yeah. If you are trying to answer before you've really heard what the other person is saying. And I could think of so many situations I've been in where I've my tendency is to intellectualize the other person's problem and offer a very high-level answer when there was something in their personal experience or history that I was not quick to acknowledge first. Um and, and really led me down just dumb rabbit trails in conversations yeah. trying to talk to people about Jesus. Yeah, I do the same thing. I, I am very quick to give advice, even when people don't ask for it. <laughs> and my advice is usually bad because I don't really understand the issue yet or the problem yet, or even if they want advice yet. Right. Well, I think you and I both love to solve problems more than just about anything in the world. Yeah, we, so do. That's, uh, we do. Yeah, and so listening is really a discipline. It really is, very um, much. Yeah. So how do we grow at it? How do we become better listeners other than just shutting your mouth? Yeah. Well, I think that's a good start. I liked his, his point. There are really three forms of listening. One is just, you're just waiting your turn to talk. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a tennis game and they hit the ball and you hit the ball and, and stuff like that. You're just, the second is you're thinking about, you're listening, but you're really thinking about um, how you're going to answer their argument. So you're not really listening to them. You're thinking about what you're going to say next. And, and the third form is where you're really listening. You're curious. You're drawing out more. I really liked his kind of all, uh, you know, works in every situation. Tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more. I thought that was a, that's a great, people can come out with things and we have no idea how to answer what they're saying. Or uh, all you have to do is tell me more. And the person will gladly oblige and, and just let them keep talking and talking and talking until they're finished. Yeah. He has given the example, and I love it, of therapists. And the way they signal, tell me more, is they'll take a sip of their coffee. Yeah. They won't respond. They'll just put the coffee up to their lips, and then yeah. you know, okay, I'm supposed to keep talking. Yeah. And it's like a magic trick. The yeah. minute you do that, people just keep talking. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think seeing that not all listening is created equal is is the first step that, yeah. that there are tennis match kind of um listening conversations where it's just i'm going to say something then you're going to say something and then there's the you know the listening to respond where you really get hung up on one thing they say and then you just take that thing yeah. and go okay i'm going to respond to that thing yeah and, and miss the the gist of what they're saying yeah. real listening as he says is um listening to understand what they're saying and so what i thought of with this it it's really difficult to get good at this, is yeah. the first thing I say. Seeing it as a habit to master is the first step. Yeah. And I remember John and Debbie Nielsen, who used to come to Creekside, they taught us a, they taught a course here one time on couples communication, but they took us through the listening cycle. And the listening cycle is, here's how you actually understand what someone is saying. Mm -hmm. And there were five steps in active listening. The first is just attention, that you are looking at them, you are looking for nonverbal cues, you are looking for emotions, um, and that's 
kind of the non-negotiable, that you're attentive to the person first and foremost. Second, you try to acknowledge whenever you can, either through mimicking back facial expressions, trying to mirror um, their feelings, um, or acknowledging with you know very quiet affirmations of yes, mm-hmm, things like that. Um, and then the third step, this might be the hardest, summarizing. Every once in a while saying, can I see if I understand your point correctly here? And then trying to say it back. Yeah. After you've summarized, then you can invite more information. That's the tell me more about step, yeah. right? Yeah. And then finally, you can ask questions. And one of the things, if you really want to understand the person, you have to ask open-ended questions. And so often why questions aren't the best ones to ask. Well, why did you think that? Or why, why yeah. would you come up with that? It's, well, who, who, who um, influenced you in that? Or what was that like? Tell me more. Or when did you first realize that? Or where was a time in your life, right? It's the who, what, when, where questions that really invite yeah. more information. Now, when we practiced that as couples in front of everyone, it was humiliating. <laughs> humiliating because I would stand there and my wife would talk to me for 30 seconds and I could not summarize effectively what she just said. Mm. Mm. And so that was a great takeaway for me that I really don't understand people as well as I think I do when I'm mm. talking to them. Mm. So it really is an art. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really helpful. I, I think what are we listening for? is a good question to ask. And I tend to, like you, intellectualize everything. And so what do they believe? What are they saying? What is their argument? And stuff like that. And that's important to understand. But I think what's the feeling behind all that? What's, what's really their concern? What's on their heart? What's bothering them? Is a, a different question. Yeah. And, and I think when you can hear that and... and pull that out, it really helps you to know what direction then to go. Is this an intellectual problem? Is this a fear problem? Um, it, just what what is it that's fueling um, what they're saying? Yeah. And if you're going to form a connection in the conversation, which I think is key, Yeah. because you can win the argument and lose the person. That's That's yeah. happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can intellectually checkmate someone, yeah. um, but if they don't like you <laughs> or they just feel run over by you, they're not going to listen. And so find those points of correspondence where there's something in their experience I can identify with and connect with. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that is so key. I remember being on an airplane one time, and the guy sitting next to me actually wanted to talk. And, and I always say, if that's the case, I figure the Lord is saying, <laughs> try yeah. to have a conversation with this person. Right. Try to talk about Jesus. And uh he was really into meditation, and so I just said, tell me more, you know, what, is, what does meditation look like in your life? And he yeah. told me, and it was very Eastern, yeah. and wasn't very biblical. I said, yeah, I, I think I meditate too. Here's, here's what I mean by that when mm -hmm. I do that. And, and said, you know, I, I try to meditate on the Scripture, which means filling my mind and, and mm -hmm. chewing on the Scriptures. And I said, you know, one, one verse I've been meditating on is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and thinking about what that means. And he had a visceral reaction to that, which is, ugh, fear of the Lord. That, that, that sounds awful. And instead of trying to eventually, you know, instead of trying to start by correcting all of his misconceptions about what the fear of the Lord means, I just said, yeah, why, what is it about that that, that is distasteful to you? Good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, and he immediately launched in to his relationship with his dad, mm. being scared of his dad, his dad using force and coercion to compel him 
to walk the straight and narrow path. That his dad was not a person you'd want to get close to. Mm. Mm. Um, and that fear was really a tool to keep him in line. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I said, you know, it makes sense, given your history, that that verse would seem really distasteful to yeah. you. And then, can I tell you what I think it means to walk in the fear of the Lord? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I had a, I think I had a position to do that because I was able to listen to his story. Yeah. And so rather than begin with correcting their misconception, go, well, I can't assume they even know what I'm talking about here. Yeah, yeah. Now that's good, because if I had been in that situation, I probably would have corrected. I probably said, well, that's not really what the fear of the Lord is, you know, and without having any background in what he really meant by it or why he felt that way or anything like that. Nine times out of ten, I would have done that, too. Yeah. So I think, I, yeah. you know, I have to use some good examples, right, because yeah. we're supposed to be modeling here for other people. Here's how you do it. So yeah, exactly. I can give plenty of the opposite. Yeah, yeah. One thing I, I, I liked about what Chan had to say about this is he kind of used, as, as you just did, marriage as an example of, of how to listen and how to get feedback that, you're, that you are listening. Right. And he, he gave the washing the dishes illustration. You know, you're not washing the dishes enough. And so it's, uh, well, from what I hear you're saying, I'm not doing the dishes enough, yeah. which shows that you're listening, that right. you heard. And then it goes to the bigger picture. Right. What what washing the dishes or failing to wash the dishes means to her, and I understand I'm not doing my share of the household duties. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Right. You know. And then from there, he says, "Well, that must. I can see how that would make you feel disrespected." Mm -hmm. And I think that until we can do that with the people we're sharing the gospel with, that we can go from being able to tell them what they just said and showing that we understand, and then what that means in a larger test, and then how that, how that must make them feel, I don't think we're ready to share the gospel with them. Right. Yeah, another point I remember from that class, because so much of this is applicable to evangelism, yeah. but there are, there are five components to communication um, with any issue you're talking about, and there's the sensory data, what you felt, saw, observed, right, that happened, there's your thoughts about it, which are judgments. There's your feelings about it. There's your desires for the future. And then there's the actions you're willing to take. Yeah. And, and until you cover all of those things, you aren't having robust communication around a subject where you really understand what you're talking about. Mm. And I think particularly for someone like me and perhaps like you, I intellectualize things so much that I just think, well, I can, I can help make sense of this thing to this person. And once they do that, then they're going to um, not realizing that, no, I have to really understand their feelings around this and why they feel that way, what their desires are for the future, what they hope to get out of life, what they're willing to commit to, all of these other things. And, and, and once I do that, I have a much better sense of how to convey the gospel to right, the person. Right, right. I think so many people struggle with evangelism because they think they have to share the gospel at step one. And they have no idea how to get into it. Where do we start? And, and really, they're not struggling with an ignorance of the gospel. They're struggling with an ignorance of their audience and, mm. and, and, and how people think. And because the better I know my audience, the easier it is to get into the gospel. Because I can see why the gospel would be good news to this particular person which is why listening, I think, is, is, and asking questions is so, so important. Yeah. Yeah, you, you don't know how to respond until you understand the actual objection. Yeah, exactly. Our need. Or the need. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, yeah. I, I remember another time talking to a guy on the plane, and and he'd kind of walked away from the church um, because he said there, there weren't, uh, you know, it was unscientific, the things that, that yeah. the church believed. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I've heard that a lot. I said, what what was anti-science about the church's beliefs? Or what what yeah. kind of scientific evidence convinced you that the church's beliefs, your church's beliefs, were unscientific? Mm-hmm. And he couldn't name anything specific yeah. in terms of, you know, the actual scientific inquiry he did that the, the church had, you know, been against in right. some way. Right, And I, he said, no, what it really came down to is I would ask questions and people would kind of shut them down. Yeah, yeah. And I said, yeah. And then you have a point of connection where you can say, you know what, that would be really frustrating to have a genuine intellectual concern and think, you know, these people are supposed to help me. <laughs> think through my faith and how to integrate it with with all of these other fields of study and to just kind of be um, dismissed. Yeah. That would be very frustrating. Right. And I can see how that would create a distaste in you. Can I tell you what I think, what's helped me in, in integrating these things? Yeah. And, and he was actually open to it at that That's point. That's great. And, and really the issue there, as you found, was not science versus faith. At all. It was it, That was not the issue at all. It was just feeling dismissed. Um, and and what and that his questions were unimportant. Yeah, that was the real issue. Right. Yeah. No, that's good. One of the things I, I like that he he talked about was the law of reciprocation, and and the idea that for most people, if you give them all the time they want to explain their position, and then just say, "Would you like me to respond?" Most people will say, "Yeah." Right. Because they, you know what I mean. It's it's. Uh, I I think that's great. You've got to be very patient. But, but uh, I mean, there are, there are people who just, they just want to talk and uh, they won't let you get a word in edgewise, no matter how much they've said. But I think most people, if it's a real conversation, if you listen patiently and, and demonstrate that you're listening, that you understand um, all those things, that eventually they are going to want to hear what you have to say in response to what they've said. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it brings up another good point. Um, you know, this isn't a magic trick. It's not like listening is going to open people up to the gospel all the time. And 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 I think what you just said there, that there are people who are genuinely disinterested <laughs> in your point of view. Yeah. They just want to railroad you. Yeah. Or they just want to push their beliefs, thoughts on you. And they have no real conception of this being a conversation at all. They just want to give you a lecture about what they think. Yeah. And the Proverbs are really helpful here in... in there are so many proverbs about recognizing a fool and, and only loves expressing their own opinion. Yeah. And so after you've listened and said, well, would you be interested? If the person really isn't interested, just it's okay to say, yeah, you know, I, I don't think this conversation is going to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Or nice talking to you. Or hey, nice talking to you. Yeah. Exactly. That's an even nicer way <laughs> to, to do it. But, but it's fine to walk away yeah. in those situations um, because you can waste incredible amounts of time with, with people who have no interest in hearing what you think. Yeah, yeah. I, I think to feel that we are, are bound by Scripture to share the gospel with every person we meet is really not biblical. Um, I, you know, Jesus said, don't throw your pearls before swine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot about people to avoid in, in the New Testament. Yeah, answer so, not a fool according to his folly, Yeah, lest you become like him, right? Exactly, and so I think listening saves you a lot of pain, mm-hmm. because you, you're able to discern, is this person really willing or, or ready to listen to the gospel, or is this just going to be, uh, they're, they're so resistant, they're not really interested in anything but talking. 
Yeah, in a sense, it helps you to discern what kind of soil you're dealing with. Yeah, it does. It really does. It's, uh, I think, what they call it in the sales in the sales world, qualifying. <laughs> you know, that there, there'll be questions that the salesman will ask a potential prospect to see if they really are qualified to to, to move on in the presentation. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's it's funny. Shell and I. Um, and this is probably masochistic to a degree, but we love getting free things from timeshare promotions. Um, and, and we are fine sitting through 90-minute uh, high-pressure sales tactics presentations because we're just really good at saying no. We, we kind of get delight in trying to convince the people that they shouldn't sell us their product. And, and so, um, yeah, it's kind of sick. But, but the, it's, it's, it's funny because they, they move us through faster and faster every time now, you know? So... Anyway, just a little hobby that, That's you know, it's like a little team building exercise for That's me and funny. Michelle. Well, I think the challenge is for all of us is, is how do I, uh, how do I need to grow in my listening skills? Um, it may be simply disciplining my ability to pay attention, right? You know, to, to bring in my scattered thoughts, my wandering mind, and actually listen to what a person is saying. It, it may be listening to the words behind the words. Um, get not just what they're saying, but why, how they feel about it, what, what that tells me about this person, things like that. Yeah. Um, it may be just being quiet yeah. and, and letting a person continue rather than trying to have to talk, have to talk, have to, well, I got to get my words in here. Yeah. There are nonverbals too that are really significant. I think one of them is what you do with your phone while you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Very basic tip there. Yeah. Um, I, I knew a guy, one of the best listeners I've ever met, he would literally turn his phone off mm. to start a conversation. You mm. could see him do it. Just shut it down, put it back in his backpack or his mm. briefcase. Mm -hmm. And what that communicates oh, yeah. is huge. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that would be a great place to start is, is attention is such a, a rare thing in our culture today because we've been so hijacked by technology. Um, and, and so giving someone your attention. And the other thing I would say about this that's great is you can practice this all the time. Um, you can, you, you've got to practice it with your wife. You've got to practice it with your kids. You've got to practice it with your neighbor, your, your coworker, um, people in church who you're talking to. So the great thing about this is you can work on this skill even when you're not evangelizing yes. because it applies directly the exact same things you would do with a, a non-believer you could do with a believer yeah. in terms of drawing them out and showing interest. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, uh, the, the words of the wise, uh, the, uh, the wisdom of a man's heart adds persuasiveness to his lips. Mm -hmm. And any kind of influence um, you're going to be far more influential if you can listen to a person, if they felt listened to, um, rather than you trying to force your agenda on them without knowing where they are or what they're thinking or anything else. Yeah, it's good. Francis Schaeffer, the uh, famed 20th century apologist, great evangelist, led mm -hmm. lots of people to Christ. But he said, if I had an hour with someone in conversation, I would spend 55 minutes listening and asking questions. And I'd only want to hear my voice for five minutes. Yeah, that's good. That's good. He's obviously a man who's done it a lot. Yeah. Good. Well, thanks, Dad. This is helpful. I think I've heard you correctly. Um, I think I could summarize back the main points you've made in this conversation. Good. I hope we've shared some emotions here. I don't know that we have, uh, but uh, this has been helpful. Thanks. Thank you. Well, listeners, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll be back with you soon.